Welcome to the Asians Redefining Their Success podcast, where Asian professionals share their stories of breaking boundaries and switching into more creative and unconventional careers. I am your host, Yangshi Zhou. Hello, everyone. We are back, back at it again. <laughs> how are you? And how's the new year going for you? Originally, I wanted to have this episode out earlier as well another um, intentions setting one for you all. But on my way to working on expressing more of myself this year, I got a sore throat for about a week, a week and a half. So everything is pushed back. And I don't think it's coincidence, but more on that in the next episode. So this week, I have Iris Chen on to share some redefining success concepts from her newly released book, Untigering Peaceful Parenting for the Deconstructing Tiger Parent. The intention of this episode is twofold. One is to better understand our parents. I know it's a big project for a lot of people around me and um, in my community in their mid-late 20s and early 30s to improve their parental relationships. And what Iris does really well is to explain why our tiger parents may have treated us the way they did, whether it was comparing us to other kids or emphasizing the importance of higher education and stable careers over the creative arts, or having more of a achievement-based love towards us, and where those beliefs came from. This way, it allows us to have more of an understanding and compassion for them when we do have those hard conversations with them. The second um, intention is to better understand ourselves. When values of struggle and sacrifice are taught and embedded in us from such an early age, we actually carry that with ourselves into adulthood. And when we don't investigate it, we're basically acting on autopilot. So you may have felt this way when you drove yourself to burnout or tied your worth to accomplishments. And part of me um, still does that. So this book allows you to recognize these patterns in yourself and heal that intergenerational trauma so that we can be more intentional about what we want to pass on and how we want to show up for our kids, even if you don't have them yet, um, and future generations. So even though this is a parenting book, I got so much insights of wisdom from this book And I hope you do too from the conversation as we talk about how Iris went from a homemaker to a self-published author, what it's like to untiger, aka, you know, leaving behind coercive parenting to one that's more gentle, consentful, peaceful, and how we can best mend our relationships with our parents by healing our relationships with ourselves first, with radical self-love. Hello, Iris. Welcome to the Arts Podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. So um, this is going to be a bonus episode, so it's going to be centering a lot around untigering. So I'd love for you to share a little bit about you. Um, you know, what were you up to 
in terms of career-wise or life-wise? And then what are you doing now? What inspired you to write your book, Untigering? Yes. So I think I listened to a few of your episodes and it seems like um, a lot of your guests go from maybe more traditional a career to something more creative. My journey was a little bit more unconventional in terms of like, I was a homemaker for uh, 15, 16 years. So I went from like having no career to um, pursuing writing and being becoming a self-published author. So that was sort of my journey. I graduated with, um, with a degree in English and I didn't really know what I wanted to do with it. I taught English with that. I became an editor at a startup company way back in the 90s before some of you were born. Um, but then once I started having a family, I, um, you know, I didn't really pursue a career and I chose to stay at home and that was my choice and I don't regret it. But it also, um, you know, I came to a point where I realized that I didn't know who I was. Like I didn't have my own interests or my own passions. All my energies uh, were focused on caring for the family and caring for others. And I think a lot of moms uh, come to this point, you know, or like adults in midlife crisis where they sort of lose a sense of themselves. And so I, I think I was about to hit 40 and it was like, well, I, I had these dreams when I was younger, you know, and I haven't done anything with them. Um, so one of those dreams is definitely to pursue writing. And I think for me, um, I had to overcome a lot of self-doubt, a lot of, um, you know, like imposter syndrome, like, because, because writing is such a public thing and um, it's something that you are putting out into the world and hoping that people will resonate with. But it, it can be really scary because, um, you know, for me, I was like, who would want to hear what I have to write? Or I had such, such high expectations for myself that I didn't want to start because I was afraid to fail. So all those things that kept me from really pursuing it. And then it just came to a point where I realized, like, I need to try. I need to be brave. Otherwise, I'm going to regret this, you know. So it started off for me. Um, with a blog. I started writing a blog. And at that time, it was very specific about untigering. And untigering to me is the process of like leaving behind coercive, uh, domineering parenting, one, a type of parenting that many of us probably grew up with, um, to one that is much more respectful and peaceful. Um, so it's processing our own childhood as well as, you know, if we're parents, to um, try not to repeat those patterns with our kids. So I was writing about that. That was uh, like a journey, a personal journey that I was on. And at that time, I had also decided to unschool. And unschooling is um, self-directed learning for our children. It's consent-based. It's natural learning. Um, where you learn through life and not necessarily through some formal curriculum. So I know that, like for me growing up Chinese American where academics was, you know, highly emphasized, choosing this route for my kids 
was very countercultural. Um, and I sort of wanted to document that process and document my own journey. So that's how that's how it all started. It started out as a blog. And then, um, yeah, people began to really resonate with it, uh, respond to it. And then um, after a few years, I, I decided that I wanted to actually write a book, share my journey, share my lessons that I've learned, especially from um, an Asian American point of view. So that's sort of how I got to <laughs> become a writer. Yeah. And I also know that, you know, if we were to go eat back even further, you were very much like a model student. Like yes. You were a Valtoria, you went to your prestigious college, you know, graduated with top honors. And I also read that. And then um, you decided to go to China and teach English for a year, which then spanned to like many, many years. Um, and yeah, I'm curious, when was that moment where you were like, or maybe it's like a serious moment where you're like, okay, um, this type of parenting, you know, doesn't work or like isn't working. And I want to try this new type where it's more consent based. Yeah. So for my kids, I think it was really because they were pushing back. Like if they had been compliant and had done well and everything, I think I would have just sailed right along, you know, it's just like, okay, this is working great. Um, but it wasn't specifically about education, but just in terms of um, our relationship in general, like my, my oldest son in particular did not respond well to my control. Mm -hmm. So the more I pushed him, the more I wanted him to behave in certain ways or achieve certain things, the more he pushed back against me. And um, I, I, it got to a point where I didn't know what to do anymore because the harder I pushed, the worse it got. It didn't get better, you know? Like for me, being a more compliant child as, um, yeah, as a child, like when I, when I was sort of um, punished or put in my place, like that taught me to follow the rules. That mm -hmm. taught me to obey more or become more compliant. Um, that was sort of my personality where I learned to do that even at the cost of, you know, my own sense of self, but my, my child wasn't having any of that. So I had to learn that that wasn't working for one and it wasn't respectful. And so I had to really learn to shift my view of him. And I think if we look back to our own childhood, we can see that we didn't like being treated like that as well as, you know, as children, that those things may have worked in some ways and yet they aren't sustainable because they don't allow us to be our true selves and to show our true selves to our parents. Mm, yeah, this approach is so unique. And just from reading from the book, it feels like you've been taking on concepts from like psychology and like spirituality, and probably so many different other areas too. like, it's very comprehensive. So how were you, you know, able to draw all of that together? I'm sure there was many books you had to read, but like, how are you able to come up with this approach and or design this approach? I had to learn from a lot of other people who were doing it, but I think as I read more about unschooling, really it's just about living life. <laughs> where <laughs> where we think we think of education, we think of schooling as um, something that 
that has to look a certain way. And we, we think of it in the framework of traditional school because most of us, that's, that's yeah. what we grew up with. But if you sort of peel back the layers and you think of, okay, most of us are out of school right now. And how do we learn as adults? Yeah. Do we sit in a classroom and have somebody tell us what we need to learn every day and divide up our, our days into like biology and English? <laughs> That's not a natural way of learning at all. That's not how we as humans learn. We learn by experience. We learn through our intrinsic motivation and we find ways. We go on YouTube. We get a book from the library you know there's so many resources out there mm -hmm. and then so so to think of our children learning in the same way as we do it's the most natural thing mm -hmm. in the world we don't have to force it onto them and um, sort of box them into certain ways of learning that actually are not natural at all so I think a lot of it was for me to look at myself as a human as an adult and the ways that I learn um, and to um, just resonate with that and to realize that a lot of the structures that we assume are absolutes, assume are the only ways of doing things, like are actually not and we can question those. Mm, I love that. Yeah. So I just want to shift gears really quick onto the writing your book part. And because okay. it's kind of on a similar level in terms of you've never done this before. And I think writing a book is such a big dream for a lot of Asian creatives, especially, you know, the clients who I work with, they want to be speakers, want to be authors. And it's not one of those professions where there's a lot of Asian engineers and Asian doctors, right? So even though you did major in English, I'm sure writing your book and publishing it is a totally different ballgame. So um, if you could just share a little bit of that process of writing your book for the creatives listening who also want to create their own books. Yes. So I chose the self-publishing route. And the reason why I did that, I mean, um, it, it has a lot to do with, with my untigering process too, where Whereas like being a tiger parent or, or following that route means that you need all the affirmation from outside to tell you that you're doing okay. Whereas that's sort of like, if you go the traditional publishing route, that's in some ways giving into the system where you're like begging people to pay attention to you and to give you the chance to publish this. And I was like, regardless of whether or not I may be able to pitch this to a traditional publisher or whatever, it's just like, I believe so strongly in this message that I want to get it out regardless. And so that's part of the reason why I chose the self-publishing route uh, where I was my own gatekeeper. I wasn't relying on anybody else to tell me whether or not I was good enough. You know, I was just gonna go for it. And so, but I knew that I needed a lot of help and a lot of accountability as well. <laughs> mm -hmm. So because if I wasn't going to do it, then it wasn't going to happen. Or if I didn't find somebody to do it, it wasn't going to happen. So I, you know, hired publishing coaches, business coaches. I found people to edit the book and to um, do the book cover. So my hand was in a lot of it. And part of it is probably because I'm such a control freak and I like, I, I really wanted it to um, be authentic to me and to my message. Like I didn't, because the message of untigering is really to know our own self-worth, you know? And so 
I didn't want to have to do backflips to prove my worth to other people in this writing process and in this publishing process. You know, I wanted to really do it in a way that felt good to me, in a way that aligned with my values. And so, yeah, I, I but like I mentioned before, there were a lot of um, mental hurdles and self-doubt that I had to overcome. And probably because, you know, we, when we grow up in the schooling system, we have other people telling us whether or not we've like hit the mark. Yes. And with, with like writing sometimes, especially self-publishing, like we don't have that, that those measurements, you know, telling us those outside things, telling us like, oh yeah, you're, you're great. You've made it. Um, so yeah, there has to be, I found that I had to really lean into my worthiness as a person apart from my accomplishments. So I, I couldn't, I couldn't do this or seek to be a writer to stroke my own ego. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because then that just feeds into the insecurity that feeds into the lie that we are what we do, or we are what we achieve. And that's, that's just, you know, something that I think we need to really challenge, um, especially as Asian Americans who are often told that we are only valuable based on our achievements, based on our salary, based on the mm -hmm. career that we have. And so to not play those games anymore, but to, to create and to write and to pursue our dreams as an authentic expression of our worthiness, of who mm. we are as people, so that we're offering these things as gifts to the world instead of using them as a way to manipulate and to try to get attention or try to get um, affirmation from the outside. So yeah, that's been a big process for me in terms of just having the the bravery, yes. the, the courage to do this because it is scary to put ourselves out there and to, to not know whether or not it will be well-received. But when we are sort of really stable and solid and secure in who we are, in um, our self-love and our mm -hmm. self-acceptance, and it's okay if we fail and we can use it as a learning experience and all that, then, um, yeah, then I think the creative process is much more enjoyable and freeing. Yeah, I've also found that the creative process can be a very like transformational, personal healing journey yes. in itself too. Because I, what you said definitely resonated. Like this year, I really had to um, learn how to separate, you know, self worth from like my business worth and like how much I am making, and also notice the difference too when maybe it's a slow month versus a really amazing big month, and then noticing how. Um, it affects my self-worth and just noticing that like, hey, like the self-worth is always here no matter whether I do or not do. Yes. I love what you said about just noticing it because sometimes we might feel bad, you know, it's <laughs> like, oh, I got a bad review or, you know, whatever it is. And I think that's okay. You know, it's okay to feel bad, but just to notice it to become more aware of it and to like know, okay, what is that touching on? Why does that make me feel so bad? And to just take the time to process that and, and to like love on ourselves in those moments. 
Yes, yes. So I have two quick questions about your book, and then we'll dive deeper into the concepts. Um, so one is, you know, how are you able to keep up a writing habit? <laughs> yes, I, I am a very undisciplined person. <laughs> so it took me <laughs> two years to finally get this book out. And I had like picked up the self publishing book. And it said, like, get your book out and published in 90 days. And I was like, oh, yeah, gung-ho about it. Um, and it did not happen, obviously. So um, I did hire a coach that, and I really wanted her to keep me accountable. So mm -hmm. that was part of it, just like to um, have goals for me. But that was when I was in China and I was in the middle of like an international move. I was packing up like 16 years of my life and, you know, life got in the way. And then I moved here back to the States and I was getting settled in. So, you know, life happened. Um, but it was really helpful. And the, the way, the reason why I was able to, to push through and finish was still because of accountability where I, got connected with another um, publishing house that helps um, self-published authors. And um, she just gave me deadlines, you know, she's like, mm. okay, by this date, send me your manuscript. And I was like, oh, but it's not ready. <laughs> like, don't worry about it. Just get it to me. And that was just so helpful to have deadlines and sort of outside support because like we can be really perfectionistic. Yeah with our work and but that is really you know paralyzing because then we don't move forward you know we're just caught in the cycle um so it was really helpful to have those deadlines and just to get it out there and to start getting feedback and um editing so that was really helpful for me to have outside support and outside accountability mm, got it well you answered my other question and this one so about how long oh, it took you so oh yes Awesome. Um, yeah, so let's just dive, you know, deeper into the, the book. Um, can you share some of the success concepts that, you know, we were grown up with as children about how it's all about being excellence and affirmation and where all, all that originated from and how it relates to our parents? Yes. So, I mean, this is speaking from my own experience, you know, as a Chinese American or, you know, being tiger parented is that success is often defined by what I call the three S's. Um, one is like our status. So like how we're perceived in society and are we high class and is this job considered something to be admired or not, right? So that's, that's the first mm -hmm. one, our status. The second one is our stats, meaning the numbers and the measurements and the quantifiable things that, that tell us that we've made it and that we're worthy, you know, like our, our GPA or our salary or the, the score that we got on our SAT, you know, those things, those very measurable things that um, are often uh, a marker of our worth, sadly, you know. Um, and then the last one was just status quo, where uh, we are taught to sort of follow the well-worn paths of what uh, others have done to achieve success, you know, so um, the doctor, the engineer, the, the accountant, or this, you know, those, those 
paths that have been well worn by other people and that we that are sort of proven to work. And um, yeah, and those are often uh, things that we don't question, that we just naturally uh, believe and pursue that type of success. But I think in my book, I was really um, encouraging people to think about like, how do we come to those definitions? Like what, how, why do we believe those things? And are they true? You know, I talk just about um, how our life experiences or our parents' life experiences can really shape that definition of success. You know, whether it's cultural or whether it's, you know, something that they experienced in their lives. So for example, you know, immigration, most of us are, many of us are children of immigrants and how that can really um, affect um, our parents' definitions of success because maybe they were only able to come over uh, because of a student visa. So they really highly mm -hmm. emphasize um, academics because that was their way up, you know, their, their, their way to improve their yeah. life. Or, um, or if they experienced a lot of poverty as a child, you know, um, that can affect their desire for us to have a stable job that can provide a good salary, you know, because that they didn't grow up with that type of stability. So they want that for us. So I think instead of just pushing back against those definitions um, for us to understand why and where they came from, and in some ways they are totally legitimate um, from our parents' point yeah. of view, and yet they can be very stifling for us because we didn't grow up with those, um, with those traumas necessarily. And our mm -hmm. worldview is probably different than the ones that our parents grew up with. So there's often a clash between what our parents want us to achieve and what, what we want to do with our lives. Um, so I think it's important to just unpack that for ourselves a little bit so that we know where our parents are coming from. We know maybe for ourselves how we came to our own definitions. Um, and then moving forward to see, okay, what do I really believe and what do I really want to bring with me moving forward? Because just because my parents had these values doesn't mean that I have to. I can, you know, sort of try to calm their fears and um, understand where they're coming from, but I don't have to take those, those fears and those triggers and that trauma into my own life moving forward because I think what we find is if we are just doing this to appease our parents or just to fulfill some sort of cultural expectation uh, we often come to a point where it doesn't satisfy us anymore we find that we're at a place where we don't really want to be because we've just been doing what everybody else expects us to do and not really what we want to do so yeah hopefully we can come to a place where we are more in touch with ourselves and who we want to be, what type of success we want, so that we can really pursue the type of life that we want for ourselves. 
This is so good. There is so much gold in here. So first of all, I loved how you broke down the chapter that we're specifically talking about right now is the redefining success. Um, and I just loved how you broke down the success into the three S's. When I read that, it just resonated with me so much. Um, and yeah, one of for me, one of my aha moments was um, when you talked about how what Chinese parents understand is that nothing is fun until you're good at it. And to get good at anything, you have to work on it. And which is why it's so important to override like the child's preferences. And for me, it was like, oh, so that's why we're so good at <laughs> forcing ourselves to continuing doing something with like for years. Because I have clients who stayed in companies for years when it's been so terrible for their mental health and so not it was just so not them so stifling but yeah it was just such an aha moment for me to like recognize oh like this is where this is where it's coming from even though it's so unnatural yes yes because we're taught that it should hurt yes <laughs> that being good at something should be painful mm -hmm. and should like you shouldn't enjoy it yeah. like the, the, there isn't that enjoyment piece or that uh, the assumption that you'll enjoy it after you become good at it mm -hmm. and you, you enjoy it because you're good at it instead of joy being sort of like the motivating factor why you pursue something why you want to become good at it so yeah I think that's very sad I think um you know not many people probably in our parents' generation, their um, opportunities were limited. And so they couldn't necessarily just do whatever was fun. You know, they had to do what was hard. And so that's why they had that mentality moving forward. But I think they, many of them came to this, you know, came to America or to a different country to give us more opportunities so we wouldn't have to live like that, mm -hmm. so that we do have more freedom. Um, and so I, I don't think that that's sort of a helpful way to think about it. Um, I think that, yeah, something that I wrote about in the book in terms of defining our success is, was inspired by the, the Maya Angelou a quote where it's she says success is liking who you are liking what you do and liking how you do it and so I really love that because it's about us defining that for ourselves and for us to know for ourselves have I achieved the success it's not it's not somebody else telling us right it's for us to know like oh do I like who I am in this moment do I like what I'm doing and do I like how I'm doing it um, and that doesn't have to be a, like a prestigious career, you know, or making a lot of money or whatever. It can be, but we get to define that for ourselves and not have somebody else tell us whether or not we've made it. Yeah. And in Maya's quote too, like so much of that is about joy and enjoyment, right? Are we liking ourselves and who we are and what we're doing and I just see kind of deep-rooted belief that the struggle has to be there for something to be worthwhile. I just see that so much in, you know, the listeners and like in my clients too, because they're finally 
Um, so I'm also a business coach and a lot of people that I work with is they used to work in corporate or tech and now they're starting their own creative businesses and they're finally doing something that they enjoy, something that they love. And they'll come to me and be like, Hey, something is wrong. Mm -hmm. Like this feels so easy. I don't think I'm good at this because this comes so easy to me and I'm like no this is exactly how it naturally is if it feels easy that means you're doing it quote quote right because that's your natural gifts yes yes it's so true I think there's this mentality um I wonder if it's sort of like capitalism too where everything needs to be really difficult and you need to suffer, you know, and um, where I think if we learn from more indigenous cultures that are more connected to nature mm. and more connected to the seasons and to flow, um, they're much more intuitive. I think that we can see in those cultures that work doesn't have to be like that mm -hmm. that work doesn't have to be toil and suffering and painful but that it can be joyful it can be um, inspiring and that that in fact we are more efficient and more effective mm -hmm. when we do what we love yeah right yes so true and I also love that you brought capitalism into, into this and talking about how like rest and play and contentment are so important. And it's interesting because just before we listening to another podcast with um, an Asian coach, she just made a million dollars and she was saying how one of the biggest factors is that she was having fun. She was like being joyful and she was just loving every aspect of it and it might just feel so mind-blowing because I always I also before had this belief that oh I'll be happy once I achieve xyz goals or that I can have fun later and I can't do it now because I need to do all these things in order to get there but actually like having fun is the way because what you ultimately want to do is to enjoy your career and enjoy your life <laughs> Yes, yes. And I wonder, like, you know, approaching business, I'm, I'm very new to this business concept, because I, you know, I've been a homemaker for so many years. And it's been quite a shift for me to start thinking of myself as a business. But I, I wonder if it's sort of not helpful to think of it so like corporate minded sometimes where we where we have all these metrics and these like goals of what we want to hit um because then i feel like again those are very outward things those are the outside mm -hmm. in rather than the inside out and a lot of times you cannot control those things and then you're like madly trying to make things happen when those are outside of your control. And so what you can control is what's going on inside of you, right? And, and the work that you do and the work that you put in. Um, but how to, one thing that I, I shared with my community um, was just this idea of New, Year, New Year's resolutions and how, how goals can sort of be very, you know, black and white and you've either made it or you didn't and there's like a sense of failure or not and instead instead of these goals maybe to 
seek out a theme for the new year. That's exactly what I do. Yes, yes. So instead, like just a word or an idea that um, that is something you want to lean into, that you mm-hmm. feel is relevant to like many areas of your life. And it's just such a gentler way of moving about your your life and your world so that it's not like this taskmaster, you know, mm-hmm. over you saying like, have you done this? You know, are you measuring up? Have you, you know, but it's, it's an invitation. It's more like an invitation rather than a test. Mm, I love that yeah I see it as more as an intention too right like it can manifest in so many different ways versus like I have this you know like quarter by quarter plan to reach this goal and my um like my theme for this year was actually play like I wanted to be oh yeah I wanted to be more playful and like you know laugh more have more fun and I really think this year I was able to embody that and my theme for next year is actually magic so kind of like seeing the magical moments in the present moment like everywhere you know with this computer the screen and this cup of water that I'm drinking from um so yeah I absolutely love the the themes what about you what what is your theme for well when this podcast comes out it will be January 2021 but what is your theme for 2021 Yes, I actually haven't thought about it because I I knew that I needed to you know take time to sit with it and and think about it. Um, so I don't really have one yet. Um, I usually just like go with the flow and you know just whatever happens happens. But I do think like like you said to have intention um, and like you know to put out into the universe this intention you know. So I, I love it and I do plan on doing it, but I haven't thought of my theme okay. yet. Well, you still have one or two days, so. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, um, and also I wanted to um, bring up something that you said earlier about how our you know parents gave us this freedom because I... I totally resonate with this, but I know in the book, you also talked about how when our immigrant parents have given up so much, we feel like we have to make them proud and achieve a certain level of success in order for their sacrifice to be worth it. And I see this so much, so much in the people around me and they're just, um, yeah, they, they, they are like kind of this kind of carrying this like burden or like guilt about, and so, you know, sacrifice oriented in order to make up for Um, their parents sacrifice and yeah I'm just curious what are your thoughts on this because I for myself I see it as more of oh they've done so much for me so I could like pursue what I want so I'm going to do that and live that to the best of my ability I think that's the best way for me to give back but I think for others um, they are still in that mindset of having to return what their parents like sacrificed for them hmm Yeah, I think sometimes we project these um, things onto our parents that they don't actually, like maybe we feel them, we feel a pressure, but they haven't actually verbalized it. We just assume that that's what they think. Um, and so sometimes, like, I, I think it could be helpful for us just to say, to have a conversation with them, you know, and it's just like, I, this, this is a career or this is something I really want to pursue. 
I, I so appreciate all that you've done to give me this op option and opportunity. Can I get your blessing? You know, and who knows, they might be totally fine with it, you know? And then other times, you know, our parents are clearly not okay <laughs> with it. And, um, but like something that, another thing I talk about in, in my book is transactional relationships and how, unfortunately in Asian culture, this is sort of like a cultural norm where there's always like a give and take, you know, there's the expectation that I, if I do something for you, you owe me. Um, and I think especially in a parent-child relationship, that's something that's very unhealthy and uh, something that hopefully we don't want to pass on to the next generation. But I think there's a way that we can honor and respect and show love and, um, and yeah, just honor and respect to our parents without denying ourselves and without it mm. being an exchange where, where, like you said, for yourself, living into the fullness of who you are does honor your parents, you know, and does um, honor the sacrifices that they made, you know, the, you may not be doing exactly what they want you to do, but in fact, you are honoring them by, by being your best self and by pursuing the things that you love. And um, so, yeah, I think we also need to challenge those cultural norms and calm our parents' fears too, because sometimes there's, they have certain expectations out of fear also, you know, like, so if they're worried that you're not gonna earn enough to be able to support them or whatever, we can also make that a priority for ourselves where it's just like, mom and dad, I want to be able to support you because I love you. Not because you required of me, but because I'm just your child. And if I pursue this, um, I will, to the best of my ability, try to support you <laughs> or whatever it is, you know? So to do it not out of a debt, out of owing, because I, I feel like doing it out of debt, there's no love there. There's, there's only duty, there's only pressure, there's resentment. So to sort of put that to the side and um, really do it out of, out of genuine love for them. And I think when we can do that, we can truly honor them. Maybe not in the exact way that they expect, but through being true to ourselves and also in relationship with them. That is so good. And it's such a fine balance, right? <laughs> and it probably will take, um, like for me, it's taken various tries and experiments. And I know for um, a lot of people around me as well as the listeners, the relationship with their parents are like really important at the stage in their lives. So I'm curious for you, just from from being on the both sides, right? From being a parent as well as a child of a tiger parent, what are some things that we can start doing or like understanding to better heal that relationship, especially if we're going to have a tough conversation? I think um, before we can heal that relationship with our parents, I feel like we have to 
at, at least for me, this this was my experience that I needed to heal my relationship with myself, if that mm. makes sense. Because when we grow up with a certain type of, um, yeah, just like, our, you know, our childhood wounds and we internalize those so that we doubt ourselves or we're very hard on ourselves. We don't trust ourselves. And so a lot of my process was for me to change the way I talk to myself so that I'm not, I'm not like that tiger parent in my mind all, this, all the time saying like, why did you do that? You're not good enough, whatever it is. So I needed to change, you know, in parenting circles, there's this, this concept called reparenting where we need to re reparent ourselves because maybe the things that we grew up with are very toxic and damaging and not serving us and we're not able to thrive because of that and so we need to change the way we talk to ourselves so that we are more like I said more secure and stable and have this self-love for ourselves and I think coming from that place then we can approach our parents with more understanding and grace and compassion like as an adult relating to another adult instead of as a child who who needs their attention you know their affirmation so much yes and our yeah because we can definitely fall back into those old patterns of relating to our parents because we're so you know triggered by the way they treat us but I think when we become more confident in who we are um, then we can just approach our our parents with more confidence and more compassion so that they don't push our buttons quite as easily. Mm -hmm. I 100% love this. Love that. Yeah, I think this is so much more of a more empowered approach versus like pointing fingers saying, okay, I got all this from you. This is because of you. All of this, what I'm experiencing now is due to my childhood. But instead, you can like start taking action on healing yourself. And I know this is also an intention for your book was that instead of mindlessly continuing, I'm, I'm going to quote this passage that I love so much that I took out. So <laughs> instead of mindlessly continuing with our workaholic drive, overachieving tendencies or limiting beliefs about ourselves, we can dig deeper to what is at the root of our behavior. We can deconstruct these definitions and motivations and evaluate them so that we can move forward with more intention. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's so, so much about like, um, bringing it into our awareness, becoming more mindful of it. So like, when we're just going through life unconsciously, or like, just our buttons are being pushed by our parents, like we we're not taking the time to slow down and and really think about why we're like why am i reacting this way and this just happened recently with like in a situation with my family and i was just getting frustrated mm -hmm. um and and then i just took some time to to sit with those feelings and ask myself why why am i frustrated like what about the situation is pushing my buttons and then I was able to like look at myself compassionately and, and understand what it was that was sort of stirring up these emotions. And then I was able to go back to my family and say, 
this is this is why I'm responding in this way. This is like why I'm feeling this, mm-hmm. so so that they could understand me better, um, and that so that we could work through this like with with more understanding of what was actually happening underneath. So yeah, I think just taking the time to understand our beliefs about ourselves, the way we see ourselves. Um, is really crucial. Yeah, I've actually been working with a life coach. So I have a business coach as well as a life coach and been working with him for a year. And this uh, exact topic is one that comes up pretty often (laughs) in our conversations. And um, we do, you know, various things in terms of digging deeper as well as as somatic body work, kind of like releasing the traumas. And I've just found such a profound difference since I am home right now, visiting um, family in the holidays and just how, because I have given attention to myself and healed certain parts of me that were childhood wounds and was and am able to like see it from a more like loving, compassionate light and seeing that, okay, this is stories from the past. It's actually not occurring now. Everybody has changed since then. We're not the same people. And just recognizing all that, I think, um, has, cause has really helped just have that sort of more easeful change in terms of the parental relationship versus going hard at it and like you know really like struggling in the process I think it really does um, come from within now I do get you know less triggered I'm able to have pleasant conversations without you know making up stories in my mind so I just really love that you brought up the approach of healing yourself first mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, is there anything else from your book that in terms of either like concepts or stories or insights for your book that you want to share? Sure. I mean, it is mostly a parenting book and, a, but it, it really goes, you know, a lot of what we were talking about is like our inner work as people healing our childhood, childhood wounds, changing the scripts that we have in our mind. Um, learning to love ourselves, like all of that (laughs) totally plays into who we are as people and as parents. Um, And yeah, I am really hoping that it will, you know, shift the way we see ourselves. And also as people become parents, the way we relate to the next generation and how we see them as people and Um, honor them, show them respect in the ways that maybe we didn't receive respect um, growing up. So there's uh, that personal aspect and that relational aspect with our children, Um, but then also sort of like the bigger picture as well in terms of our cultural norms um, within Asian culture, within Chinese culture in particular that I write about, and also, you know, societal social systemic injustices, I talk about that as well, because that does affect um, our parenting, that it does affect us as people, you know. Uh, Something that I wrote about was just um, growing up in a white dominant culture does affect the way that we see ourselves and the way that um, our, you know, our confidence or um, our beliefs about what types of success we can achieve, you know, because if we have never seen ourselves represented in certain fields, 
then we feel like that's totally off limits for us. You know, like I'm never going to become an actress or I'm never going to become, you know, a football <laughs> player or whatever it is because we just don't see ourselves represented in that. And so it also touches on um, the bigger social issues too that we need to address. Um, not only the, the personal thing, the personal inner work that we have to do, but also like the bigger cultural shifts that need to happen so that we, we can all thrive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, amazing. I also notice how comprehensive the book is. You are definitely approaching it from so many different aspects. And I'm curious for you, you know, how have you defined success for yourself? Like, what was it before? And how is it now? Sure. So probably when I was younger, um, I was all about, you know, hitting all those marks. Like you said, I was valedictorian. I went to a great school. I graduated with honors and then I married somebody who also did all those things. You know, my parents (laughs) loved him. He was like the perfect son-in-law. So it was, it was in a lot of ways, um, just trying to be who I was expected to be like, like having somebody else tell me what I needed to do. And then I would work my hardest to do it. And that made me feel good. You know, it's just like, yes, I I've made it. Um, I think now shifting with that, um, my mentality is much more, am I living in alignment with my values? Mm. Am I living in alignment with who I really am and the life that I want. So, you know, it doesn't matter what the world thinks. It doesn't matter what the the outside expectations are as long as I am doing what I think is true and what, um, what is best for me and my family. So, you know, in moving back to, um, to America, we had a chance to sort of like start our life over again, you know, in some ways. And we had to be very intentional about the choices we made with, you know, the types of job, jobs that we pursued or the community that we wanted to live in and all those things. And so, um, yeah, we were very intentional about that. So we didn't buy a house in in a very like, well-to-do neighborhood. We wanted a very diverse community. We wanted to, um, we, like my husband didn't find like a super high paying job, even though he could, because he wanted the flexibility. He wanted like, you know, a job where he could clock in and clock out and be with family so that he wouldn't have to work overtime and be stressed, you know? So a lot of these choices that we're making have to do with being aligned with our values, knowing what's important to us, and then um, making those choices with courage, even though it looks really different from what other people choose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really think you're um, a great example of someone who is living with courage and bravery, not just in terms of the untiring approach, but also with writing your book and like fulfilling this dream of yours. So what would you say is one thing that has helped you the most in terms of creating this, your, this aligned life, like your own definition of successful life? Um, I think it's something that I touched on before. And I think 
it's just this concept of like radical self-love. I think that's so, so foundational for everything that, that empowers us to be brave because um, again, we are not defining our, our worth or our self-love based on what other people tell us or based on um, these outward measurements, but it's just intrinsic you know, just knowing that we are all intrinsically worthy just as we are in this moment without even like moving a finger without achieving anything. Like in this moment, we are worthy, we are loved. And um, yeah, I think just coming from that place, it's, it's just so comforting and inspiring as well. Um, where we can uh, like live out a life that sort of offers this self-love and, and this type of love to other people. And it's not, you know, trying to get their attention or trying to get them to love us. But since we have this love in ourselves, we can offer it freely to other people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it reminds me of a quote that you said earlier about, you know, like living life, being alive, like that <laughs> is so foundational, but, you know, it's one of those things that I think are is oftentimes overlooked because a lot of people feel like they're just going through the hamster wheel or not quite really like mm -hmm. lit up and whatever that they're doing. Um, what resources or books do you have or would you recommend in terms of like reparenting or, you know, healing intergenerational trauma or coming back to ourselves and radical self-love? Yes. So um, on Instagram, I really love and appreciate Asians for mental health. Mm -hmm. That, um, yeah, that account, Jenny Wong, she's amazing. And I think there's a lot of like overlap in what she writes and what, what I write about. Um, and then in terms of parenting, um, I really recommend other accounts that are run by black and brown um, women of color, specifically because, um, because I, I feel like we have so much to learn about the sort of like the intersectional issues that go into like this inner work that we have to do, you know? something that these overlapping sort of systemic <laughs> injustices that are some we're sometimes like unaware of but um yeah so one account is called parent parenting decolonized so that's run by Yolanda Williams and um yeah she's uh, a black mama and then another one is Latin X parenting um so she's Latin Latina and writes about it from that perspective too. So yeah, I think this work that we have to do, you know, there's a lot of layers to it. And I think it's really helpful to learn from those who are most marginalized in some ways so that we can understand all the different layers that we need to unpack. Mm, yeah, and lastly, what parting concrete advice do you have for those who are listening right now and you know they're contemplating whether they should go for something that feels really aligned for them even though parents might oppose it <laughs> what do you think is the first step that they can take so my advice is just to like 
take that first little step. You know, I think we're afraid to take that step because we want to get to the end goal so quickly. And if we can't get to the end goal, then like, why even bother trying? But um, from my own journey, just like I never imagined that I would be at this place when I first started the blog, you know, I just, I just did it because I had this urge to do it. And so instead of like dreaming too far ahead in some ways, instead of saying like, oh, I want to be this New York bestseller, author, whatever, it's just like rein it back in and, and just like take the next step be brave enough to take the next step and and do that well. And like from my own journey, I've seen that that has just led me to this place where I could not have dreamed about this like three years ago, four years ago when I started it. But um, doors just opened for me and people just found me and resonated with it. And then then I'm I'm here now. And but if I had if I had made that my goal, I think that would have been very stressful and um yeah put a lot of pressure on me because I didn't work up to this point you know what I mean and so yeah just to take that first step be brave remember your (laughs) self-worth remember to align with who who you are and your values and I I feel like you can't go wrong you can't go wrong Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm also a big fan of experimentation. And yeah, like even when I just think about if I were to write a book now and hearing what you just said, you know, I would be so stressed about, okay, all these coaches, like I have to hire and, you know, like all these things I have chapters I have to do after seeing your very well written book. And yeah, that is very exhausting, overwhelming. And there's also this part that's like, Um, I think a lot of people will resonate with that, like, oh, I'm not an expert, right? But if you Mm. do take that first step and just like keep on continue taking it, the byproduct is that you'll have this very unique approach or your body of work over time. It will just naturally happen. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, so I found this book to be so well written. I really, really loved your book and I so appreciate you coming. And where can we find you for your work, uh, your blog, your book? Yes, thank you. Um, So the book is launching January 5th, 2021 um, on Amazon. So wherever you live, you can go to your Amazon website and find it there. Um, You can find my blog at untigering.com. I also have um, a Facebook page and an IG account that I just share different thoughts about parenting and mental health and and all of this untigering process. Um, And that's just untigering. And I also have a Facebook group for those who want community to process some of this stuff with, and that's Untigering Parents on Facebook. So yeah, I'm really excited to share this with people, with the community, and hopefully begin to shift some of the paradigms and the patterns of um, our culture. So thank you so much for having me. So many goodies in this episode, right? If you can think of one person who would find today's message really helpful on their career journey, please, please share the episode with them. It could make a huge difference. And as a big thank you for being here, 
One of the most common questions that I get is, how do I get started in a creative career? And so I put together a free guide that you can use to start taking steps towards a creative career you love through a side project. You can get that creative side project guide for free in our Instagram bio at The Arts Podcast. Enjoy and see you in two weeks.